Hello, fiends and ghouls. Welcome back to the third episode of the premiere horror movie reaction podcast, Fright or Flight. Hello, I'm Gerilyn, or Jumpscare Scare, who represents the Fright and Fright or Flight. I'm a horror movie lover, connoisseur, and fanatic. And I'm Frankie, the flight of the podcast. I'm a big baby. I'm scared of everything in the world. And I'm here to suffer for your entertainment. So, what were your thoughts on Scream 3? You, dude, I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoyed this movie. I, uh, I, I, you know, I was surprised when I liked the second one. I was like, okay, the first one's good. Usually, second one, not going to be as good. But this one, I had a blast. It was, lo- it, was, it was loads of fun. What did you think? I thought so, too. I thought it was nowhere near as bad as everyone had made it out to be. Like, as soon as I finished the movie, I called my mom, who hates this movie Whoa. very much. And I was, wow. like, I was like, Mom, I watched the movie. I watched Scream 3. And she was like, ugh, I hate it. I hate that Whoa. movie. And I was Strong like, feelings. yeah, I was like, it's really not as bad as people make it seem. I was like... I understand that it's not like I don't know. It definitely is missing the same. Uh, what's the word? It's missing the same feel that the first one did. Definitely, but I think you could say the same thing about the second one. Yeah, I mean, the second one isn't the first movie either. Right, and I, I agree with that too because it's really hard after you've set the tone with like a first movie to keep it up to speed and keep it that to that level that caliber so yeah overall i thought it was i thought it was super fun but um i agree i do have lots of complaints and i do have lots of questions and and things and notes about it because things happened and i was like what but some of it wasn't that bad some of it was just continuity things or storyline plot holes that i was like why would this have happened um but i do have a big big complaint uh, that we'll reference later but um Ooh, exciting yeah this movie made a bunch of money as well so like compared it to did. the first two the first two each made about 170 million uh this one came in at 161 so this is still ramping it up there so these movies make the dough which and i was surprised to see this movie's also directed by wes craven it sure who, is and who directed I... the last two wes craven yeah He's really set the tone. Um, and this one came out in 2000, so it's not much longer after the first one. There is a gap in between um, the release of Scream 2 and this one, because Scream 2 yeah. was released in 97, but this one was released in 2000. Um, it was released early 2000, though. There, this one, like, um, the first Scream movie, the second one came out a year after the first. Yeah. This one came out two years after the yeah. second one because the second one was released of December 97 and the third one released February of the year 2000. Y2K. Yeah. Like, I think, my words, um, it, like they also had a, a much bigger budget. So I imagine that may have taken some time because with this movie, it was so big. Yeah. You, it was so big. But and I, I really enjoyed it, though. Um, one of my biggest mm-hmm. complaints about... The second one is kind of like the finale. Mm-hmm. And, and like it just felt like we were in the same place for like a really long time. Oh, and yeah. I really enjoy how this one kind of takes you, you know, to different places. I mean, even when the movie opens up, usually we open up in a house, right? Mm-hmm. This time we're in like a freeway with a bunch yeah. of cars. Is this scream? It was, I was wild. Surprised. Um 
not to mention the star-studded cast with this one. They always have really good casts anyway, but like, I don't know. I wasn't expecting this long of a list of people that I had known. Who did we get? We have so many. We have like uh, David Arquette, of course, returning as Dewey. We have Nev Campbell returning as Sydney. Um, fun fact, Courtney Cox at this point was married to David Arquette because her and the character Dewey um, were married in real life. They actually met on the set of Scream what? and fell in love. Yeah. I did not um, know that. So her credits at the very end of the movie are Courtney Cox Arquette because she and uh, she got married to David Arquette. I had no um, clue. Yeah. It's wild. Um, Leave Schreiber returning as Cotton Weary. Uh, Kelly Rutherford. I've seen her in a few things, but she's not. I mean, obviously she was in there for like two seconds, but I, I'm not very. I don't know her work very well, so can't really speak to her as a as like an actor. But um, Patrick Dempsey, we all know him. That's McFucking Dreamy. They have McDreamy in here. I don't know McDreamy. Um, huh? I don't know McDreamy. McDreamy. He's from Grey's Anatomy. Patrick Dempsey's uh, been in a lot of like a lot of movies and I stuff. See. And all right, people just think he's like good looking, which he is. But um, let's see, I I feel like I've seen the the one the woman who plays Marine in this movie, Lynn McCree, but I don't I don't know for sure. But she's in there. It's great. Scott Foley as Roman Bridgers, uh, or Roman Bridger. My bad. Uh, Lance Henriksen. Never seen him a day in my life playing John Milton. Um, some of these other characters I don't recognize. I do recognize, I think it's Dion Richmond. He plays Tyson, Tyson Fox, one of mm. the actors of the actors. <laughs> right. Um, let's see. Jenny McCarthy, Emily Mortimer, Parker Posey, Patrick Warburton. They got Patrick Warburton to play in this movie. That I was so that was fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, I didn't even recognize him until he started talking. Oh yeah. That legendary voice. How could you not recognize him? We have Heather Matarazzo. Um, Carrie Fisher. Um, I don't know why Jay and Silent Bob made any kind of appearance. I love it. I thought it was very random and I kind of was like, what the fuck? There was like, I love Kevin (laughs) Smith. So I really appreciated seeing him. I also do as well, but I just felt like it was random in this movie. Like there was no place. To me, it almost felt like, um, like they were on an actual studio set and maybe they were filming that day. So they just, you know, showed up and walked by or something like that. Yeah possibly but so fun so many different things that we've never seen before in the scream franchise and i really was like wow okay yeah this movie kind of changed things you know like it like it kind of it, it took a different stance where i feel like the second one they're kind of redoing the first one in a lot of ways yes like uh like sydney has a new boyfriend she has a new group of friends you know and and, and it's kind of and it's kind of a retelling in some ways of the first one while i feel like this third one is like a completely different adventure that they go on yes and in the first two we have you know the iconic character randy leading us through it with with these rules that make sense so it only makes sense that you know sequels are almost exact copies of the first movie so I think that with this third movie, it really just did something different. And it was so meta. Oh, my God. It was so meta. It was so meta. The second, the first one is meta. The second one is right. also meta. And this one gets, like, deep Even into more. it. Yeah, it's, it's insane. At one point, at one, they're filming a movie in this one. They're filming the third Stab movie. And so they're on a set. So we're watching a set on a set, but, but, it's, but it's a set for us. Yes. It's not a real set. It's just a set for them. So it's 
It's wonky, man. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about this opening scene, though, because here we are. We open on a Hollywood sign, so obviously we know we're we're in we're in Hollywood. We're in Hollywood, baby. We're in Hollywood. Cotton got his fame, and so we're yeah. in the car with him, and you know he's complaining about doing a movie cameo in in Stab. Right. He said slasher film, so we can only assume that he means the Stab movies. And then he gets like a call from Ghostface, but it started off as like a woman. Yeah, it, this is something the mo- this movie did differently. Yeah, this one, this one, he gets a phone call, and it's obviously a woman's voice, right? That switches into a, like a, like a like a really scary, angry man's voice. Yeah, threatening threatening Cotton and his wife at home because cotton's on the interstate his wife's at home she's taking a shower and he's like oh i see her right in front of me and he's like oh no and so he starts driving ass oh man he fucking yeah he, he crashes into somebody right not crashes but he drives into somebody right in front of him before taking an exit off the interstate sure did and not to mention this is a an intense opening scene like it pulls people in you're like oh my god like from the from the get go, from the beginning, we're already witnessing death. <laughs> I was like, "Oh God!" Yeah. It was actually really, really well done to me. Well, first of all, Cotton Weary is like freaking the way he's driving throughout the streets. There's no like I he should have been dead oh, before yeah. he even got back to his house. It's insane the kind of stuff he does. Yes. But when he finally does, it, or or actually before that, you know. Ghostface is at his wife's house. Yeah. And he and she starts getting chased, but he uses this Ghostface uses this voice changer that lets him sound like anybody else. So I think it's really cool that he uses the voice changer to sound like Cotton, traps her in a room, and then when Cotton comes home, she's scared of him, the real Cotton. Yeah. Because she thinks that he's been threatening her this whole time. That was insane. I was like, it was. I really couldn't tell. I was like, okay, either this ghost, like, either this for real is a ghost face thing, and he's actually trying to kill her, or maybe Cotton's just messing with us too. I don't know. I really, I really had no idea what was going on because, again, I had zero expectations going in because I hadn't seen this one. This is the only one that I haven't yeah. seen. So I was like, we going in blind, baby, and yeah. Um, I was shook because I was like, oh, shit, that's Cotton's voice. That is Cotton's voice. And in the other one, there is a voice changer. But this movie, it's it's part of the pl- a plot device where, like, he has a voice changer or they have a voice changer that lets you sound like anybody. Yeah, that's scary. I, I would, so when he goes into, <laughs> I would be when so he goes into the room, she starts swinging at him because she thinks he's the killer. I would, too. But he's not. So he gets cornered behind a wall, and the real ghost face comes up behind her and stabs her. Yep, R.I.P. And the hilarious scream from her comes out. And then Ghostface and Cotton get into a fight. And I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, Cotton could easily take out this guy. Right? Like, he, he looks so much. Cotton looks like, I mean, come on. It's Sabretooth himself. So funny. Know? So funny you mentioned that. Apparently, the actor, Lee Schreiber, insisted that Cotton Weary should remove his jacket in the opening sequence. Um, because he had been working out a lot That's so and funny. he wanted to show it off Heck and yeah. obviously we can we can tell yeah my man's big <laughs> he he, he should have been able to take us face but he doesn't get stabbed right in the chest and we see the logo scream three which i love the logo like they kind of slash it open like the three lines to make the number three and it looks sick as hell yeah it was very very fun um 
but gosh, R.I.P. Cotton, R.I.P. Christine. We're off to a bad start with two deaths. I was yeah. like, man. I was surprised to hear Cotton's name. Like, Cotton Weary makes sense to me. Yeah. But uh, but this at some point, uh, Christine yells out, Cotton. Yes. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, his name's Cotton. What a weird That's name. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, who the fuck names their kid Cotton? Like, who chooses that yeah. as a name? I This is the third movie that this, this name's been mentioned, and I didn't thought about it once. Until this moment, when you just say cotton. Yes. I like it, though. It's all right. It's not a bad one. So where do we find our protagonist? What is she doing there? She is kind of off in isolation in, in her own house. And we open, after the title sequence, we open with her walking her dog and walking to her house. And um, then she begins her day, and it seems she is working at a crisis counseling center, but she's doing, like, um, remote from home work, which work from home before it was cool. Look at that. Oh, um, I could not believe this is the kind of job she has. Oh my god, she has a job where or all she does is answer the phone after being traumatized by answering phones. Well, sometimes some people kind of like turn their trauma into like ways to help others. So I think it's a really endearing yeah. like character thing for her. Okay, I could see yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's a really cool thing because she's like, I've been through it, I'm going to help others, and I think it's a really nice thing. However, she's not going by her real name. She's going by Laura. Right, and she has a conversation with her dad about this later on, and he's like, oh, you're not living a real life, there's no real you. And she's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. And I agree with her, like, come on, after you've been through all yeah. this, you, you're you scared to be yourself, you know, because you know people are coming after you i would absolutely be in hiding absolutely oh yeah me too she's not in witness protection though which i'm like at this point wouldn't you wouldn't she the police put her in witness protection or something that's what you would think she's isolated herself uh we cut to like a big like i don't know theater room with gail weathers giving a speech yeah my immediate first thoughts is uh courtney cox this is not a good haircut i don't like this haircut oh my god the last one i miss the streaks i miss the streaks she's got like these tiny little bangs and this like long (laughs) chop hair and i'm like uh not a fan so it's so funny that you mentioned that so i don't think it looks that bad personally because i i like the short bangs but um at the same time, people have always... I've seen so many memes about it. People would always be like, oh. the worst thing about the Scream movie is Courtney Cox's bangs. Yeah. And then um, apparently, I think Courtney Cox had responded and said, fuck you, or something like that. And I thought that's just really funny. <laughs> Very Gail Weathers. Oh, right. yeah. Which Gail is still so bitchy, but at the same time, so girl boss. It's like, it's hard. And you have a love-hate relationship with this character because you, she has really nice moments, really sweet moments where she wants to do the right thing. But then she's very like, it's so much about herself and her yeah. her moving forward and her success, which again, no, no, no shame, no blame there because I get yeah. it. She's obviously a Slytherin. If she was sorted, <laughs> she has a lot of ambition. Yeah, and that's what that's what gets in the way. Where like she she does she grows. I mean, from the first movie to the third movie, you could tell she has a lot more emotion and like to like social and humanity, uh, other people, a lot more sympathy. Yeah, but she she still gets into like this thing where like she she wants to chase the success, and that's why when we open this movie, she's not with Dewey anymore after. Like getting into the ambulance at the end of the second one with Dewey to go see him off, uh, he they they've broken up since then sure because have. she's trying to you know chase this, yeah. this journalism. 
I, yeah, it's, it's sad, but you know, at the same time, you kind of understand, but yeah. especially if you're trying to grow and then, you know, if she, like, which later they, they mention it, but, um, and somebody else is kind of holding you back in a way because they don't want to move forward. They want to kind of stay where they are. Yeah. So it makes sense that she's like, yeah. Hey, I can't just sit here and, and do this. I, I have to, I have so many things that I, that I could be doing kind of thing. I mean, again, yeah. very girl boss. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, that is a, co- a compatibility situation, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you just want different things and, and oh, that, yeah. it might not work out that way, you know? But sometimes I think there is beauty in people being very different. Um, like, for example, I think my, my partner, my romantic partner and I are very different, mm-hmm. but I think it works for us. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just, you know, it compromise. Really is, yeah, it really depends on the couple itself. We meet a new character, a detective that yes. comes to Courtney Cox. Uh, I forget his name. Do you remember his Mark name? Kincaid. Kincaid. It's a really good detective name. You yeah, know, it you is. You could just say the last name, Kincaid. Well, he brings Gail Weathers a photo, and this photo is of none other than Maureen Prescott. Yes. The mother of our protagonist, Sydney. And she's looking kind of cute. I like her beanie. She looks very 90s. Um, I don't know when the photo was taken, but it's in black and white. At the yeah. same time, Sydney's at home watching the news and finds out that there's been a killing. That Cotton Weary is gone. Poor fella. Yes. Imagine, like, oh, man. I can't imagine what they were thinking or feeling because... That's got to be so scary. Like you've gone through this twice already, a third time. Like, come yeah. on. And she can tell too. You can. She she knows. Like as soon as she hears Cotton's dead, oh snap! It's going down again. Mm-hmm. But but after that, we cut to they're doing a production for Stab Three, which was the first one was introduced in the second movie, yeah. Scream Two, and now they're filming the third iteration, and we see our new cast of actors that are going to portray. The events of the first Scream movie. Which is so strange to me because in the first Stab movie, like it's, you know, mentioned, they portray the the events from the first Scream movie itself. So it's very interesting because it seems like they're redoing it almost again. Yeah, you know, I didn't even think about that very much because he, Dewey is in, the actor that plays Dewey, <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> see this is a problem, it gets so yeah. meta. Not the actor that plays Dewey for us, but the actor that yes, plays Dewey his character for them. Name is, is a, um, I wrote it down because they have a lot of different names. Um, his name is Tom Prince, and his character name is Tom Prince. Okay, so Tom Prince is wearing like a, like a a police yeah. outfit, which doesn't make any sense because Dewey wasn't in a police outfit in the second one, so, and they're at back at home, like in what's it called, Owensboro? Oh uh, no, 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 Woodsboro. Woods in Woodsboro, and so it looks like they're redoing the first one, but they already did that. Yeah, it's so strange because then I'm like, then we have Jenny McCarthy, who was actually like, who is playing the character name um, Sarah Darling, and her she plays Candy in Stab Three, and to me that was almost a resemblance of Tatum because yeah, you know, blonde girl, maybe maybe even could well Candy could be Cece or Casey, I guess yeah, I don't uh, know. It's weird. Because Cece was the sorority sister, but then again, like it looks like they're doing a repeat of of Scream One. Yeah, and just changing things around. And then there's also a really terrible scene um, where we have uh, 
Dion Richmond playing Tyson Fox, and Tyson Fox is playing a character named Ricky in Stab 3, and one of the other characters essentially was like, well, you're kind of playing uh, like a black version of Randy. And I was yeah. like, that's horrible. <laughs> it seems typical, though. That seems about right, like for, like, I don't know, movie Hollywood business kind of thing. Yeah. It's just, it's it's sad, but it's also, like, confusing yeah. because that's the only, like, that's the biggest plot hole to me is, like, what are we watching them trying to make? Because this, the movie scenes, like, the film set itself are exact replicas of the houses from the first film. So it only leads me... Yeah, I think I get it. Okay. I think I know what's going on here. So Stab 1 is the events of Scream 1. Stab 2 is the events of Scream 2. Mm-hmm. We're watching the production for Stab 3. And so the events of Scream 3 haven't occurred yet. So this is going off script. They're doing they're going oh, further yeah, now right. than what has actually happened. And and the the, na- the name of the movie if you remember is like Stab 3 uh Return to Woodsboro or whatever the name of the, like forget it's the town again. But I the I don't remember the the subtitle but I'm going to trust trust you on that. Okay that's the subtitle it's it's return to woodsboro so they're coming back to the town and that makes sense why they're back at the house and all that and they replace characters and dewey's back in this police outfit that makes so much sense now because um there's also like a uh they have it set up for like murder scenes and like so i think they mention it later but yeah yeah that makes so much sense i'm I'm processing with you (laughs) i really enjoy we get to see gail weathers that's the best like new actor for this is the person who plays oh, Gail yes. Weathers because they go for, they, immediately, Posey. they immediately get like you see them right next to each other and they start talking to each other and this person acts and talks like Gail Weathers to Gail Weathers and I think it's just a delight getting to see all that. Yeah, it was it was very fun. Um, Parker Posey is a fantastic actress. She's been in so many things. She's very just very gifted. I, I love her a lot. Um, not only is she gifted in like the comedic sense, but she's also just gifted in her acting sense as well because she's done some serious roles too. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you get to see her, and you know she she gets into like this little tussle with Gail. I think her name is Jennifer in the movie. Yes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and she's a little buddy buddy with Dewey. So weird because it's almost like to me, my first assumption was he's replaced Gail with this gail <laughs> yeah it is kind of odd but i mean it makes sense it you does know, you like somebody and here's this person that is a lot like that somebody but she's not really is what makes it weird cause yeah she's her own person but and also what makes it strange is that um she jennifer gave dewey a place to stay because she wanted extra protection even though she has patrick warburton as her security guard yeah which I'm like, he's jacked. Like, so why do you need Dewey? Well, I think she's she doesn't. That's just he. She just wants to use him for information to play a better role on uh, Gal. That's also that's also very very good insight because I wasn't think I maybe I was overthinking it essentially and missing the the things like the target in my face. It's either that or she just thought he was really cute or something. But I think it's I think it's the role thing because she seems like one of those dramatic Hollywood actors. Yeah. And then so we're at, we're at this movie set like we like we mentioned, Dewey and Gail meet again and then that's when we kind of find out that they're not together because she's like, "What are you doing here? What are you doing <laughs> yeah. here?" This whole back and forth. 
cat chasing the mouse kind of thing. I can't stand it. I'm like, gosh, so annoying. <laughs> um, but then we find out that there's an al- like alternative like motive. Not motive, but like there's an alternative reason that Dewey's actually there. Because he said he would never leave Woodsboro. Right. But here he is in Hollywood. Yeah, he's he took on like a coordinating job, like to like help, you know, tell the story because he actually lived through the things. So they, you know, they'll ask Dewey like, "Oh, hey, so how did this happen?" And he'll be like, "Oh, it's more like that or this or whatever." Yeah, and that's what he does on set. Uh, Gail Weathers leaves the the studio, and we see Jay and Silent Bob. We sure do. And I really like this moment. <laughs> I, I it's just one of my favorite. It's his favorite moments in the movie. I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. I've only ever seen like one or two of his movies, but I listen to his podcast a lot, and he's a funny guy. He's a funny I like guy. him. Uh, he's also very smart. Um, it's just so funny because Jay and Silent Bob, obviously, like he plays a very silent character. <laughs> um, but I personally disliked this moment because I was like, it almost felt like it was trying to be a comedy rather than like, I mean, normal. It's normal campy self is fine, but it almost felt like it was yeah. trying to be too funny or something, too casual. Um, so, but it's not that big of a deal. That's just a small, like a literally a small gripe. I was just kind of yeah. like, uh, why is this needed? But whatever. I enjoyed it. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this whole thing happened and we get to see like the making the movie set. It was very, very cool, but also very strange. It was strange. At first I was worried. Am I going to be able to keep up with all these characters like there's oh we, i got i got you we got the actors and then we got the actors playing the actors and i'm like oh my gosh this is a little much i got you i got you but we after we leave the studio we go back to the back to the house with uh, sydney she's talking with her dad and she starts having like this weird vision and i did not know what to think about this whole situation because she's like goes to sleep yeah and, and then she sees like her mom in oh her God, dream yeah. she sees her mom in her dream but then she wakes up and she sees her mom in real life mm-hmm. and i was like what is going on here is she there is she not there yeah like, the it turns she turns into ghost face at the end of it and i'm like is that ghost face or not and it's weird too because the dog is also reacting to like the window shattering yeah and i'm like so what is happening but i guess it was just a vision yeah I think it was just a dream within a dream because if you saw like she oh. fell asleep, she woke up and then she saw her mom at the window and then whenever it her mom turned into ghost face, she woke up again and like was like breathing really heavy. Oh, okay. Um, because at first I was also questioning. I was like, what is real in this sense? What is not? Is she actually seeing a ghost? Like, what is happening? Like, I was all over the place. Um. It did give me some Nightmare on Elm Street vibes, just a little tiny bit. <laughs> uh, so I thought it was kind of fun. like that was oh, okay. a little bit fun. Um, I'm excited because, to watch those because dreams within dreams and stuff, and you know those are those are very fun movies. But um, yeah, that was a very intense dream sequence because you're like, oh no, I don't know what's actually happening or whatever. But I was confused. Candy pulls up to like the studio and her like I don't know BMW looks yes. flies out. Yeah, and she looks so much like Courtney Cox to me, the person that plays Candy. I so, can see that. So I was confused. It confused me a little bit. And they're supposed to play like the you know, 
I don't know, the, the pretty girl who gets got. And she has a lot of complaints about that. She's like, why do I have to be showering? Why do I have to be naked and like do all this stuff or whatever? I don't really like my role. And she's talking to it about it to the director, Roman. Yeah. And it turns out it's not Roman. It's Ghostface. That was so... I mean, of course, we saw that coming because she's showing up and she's like, hey, Roman has called me to be here. And then like everyone's like, "Uh, he's not here, but okay. And... I would be out of there immediately be like, okay, well, if it's that important, it can wait until this day kind of thing. But oh, yeah. again, in, in the movie world, nobody has that kind of sense. <laughs> no, none of them do. None of them and, do. And she she's like freaking out, obviously, you know, that like you say like, oh, I'm going to gut you or something like that, like he always says. So she goes oh, yeah. hides because she's a, she hears somebody come and assumes it's Ghostface. It's actually just a security guard. And then after they lock the door to the office... She's hiding away in a bunch of ghost face props, which I'm like, I would not want to be anywhere near all those ghost faces. Yeah, I would not. It is terrifying. That's what I was thinking. I was like, what the fuck? You're going to go to the costume room, which I loved the scene in general, like this this whole scene, because they go to the costumes and then they go to the prop room. So it's just really cool to see like the behind the scenes kind of stuff, even though it, it's very yeah. meta. But at the same time. You know what? I feel like these movies are kind of an appreciation of horror cinema oh yeah in a lot of ways I think so and this too. one especially this one especially lets you go like into like the production side yes of the horror movies because the last two have a lot to do with like the writing and the storytelling and this one has that as well but also lets you see the actual production of those things i think so which is really i cool. think so too it's it's very fun it's a very fun kind of uh environment to watch a, a horror movie in, um especially if you enjoy it yourself but one of my favorite things about the scene is you don't know who she's supposed to be playing. You know her name's Candy. However, she the way that they had her dressed on set, it looks like she could be playing Tatum from Scream, the first Scream. It looks like she could be playing Casey Becker from the first Scream, kind of. Or, like I said, Cece, the sorority sister who got Scott in the second one. Like, it's very confusing in how they're going to enmesh and implement these characters into the into the world of Scream, but you know, make it make it okay, stab. So I, I think she Candy is the character she's playing, right? And and the her name is Sarah. Yeah. Okay. So she's playing Candy in Stab Three, I think. Yes. Which is a new character we don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting, but again, like. Who in their right mind would just sit there and, uh, I don't know, just wait on, like, wait by the phone? Hell no. Especially if the people surrounding the story and then this person who is also supposed to even make a cameo in the movie himself dies, I'd be like, I'm not going to be anywhere on this set alone. No, after this happens, I'm already, like, I don't know. And it's really fascinating, too, because I've heard about something similar happening in, like, real-life movies where, like, they'll say, like, oh, the set is haunted or... Or the movie production is haunted because, like, somebody died, like, three months after the movie came out. And somebody else died, like, a year after, like, on the anniversary or something like that. Yeah. So, it's really spooky. So, if I was on the set, I'd be like, okay, y'all, I'm done with this. I'm going to go film a comedy now. I don't want to be in this anymore. I'll save those for you because I, I know that we'll probably end up watching some of Whoa! them. So, I'll definitely That's make crazy. a note to save those. Um but there, there are a lot. And one of them actually is a play. One of them that say that the play itself, like putting wow. on the play is like 
Like it's like bad luck we might kind have, of thing. Like I think we it's might have Beth. to do just an episode off that if there's enough just discussing like haunted sets. Yeah. Or something like that. That'd be a lot of fun. Oh yeah. But anyway, speaking of hauntedness, we are haunted by the past of <laughs> Julian Gale's relationship. Yeah. Yeah, we get to catch up with them. They were together for a while, it appears. Yeah, it seems like it was like about a year or so. But now they're not. They've broken up. They sure have. Kind of sad, but you know. Yeah, I don't know, cause cause Dewey has a lot of resentment. Like in the more, I think this is the most we see him angry at Gail. Yeah. For everything that's happened, but she she just wants to, you know, she's kind of a detective on this. Like she still has that journalistic spirit and wants to like get to the to the end of this. Something I think is really fascinating about this movie, we're with Dewey and Gail so much more than usual. Yeah. It almost feels like they're the main characters and not Sydney. Because, like, we, we all, and also Gail and Dewey, we're like 30 minutes into the movie. They're the ones that are actually interacting with all the stuff. Sydney's still just, she's far away from, like, all the events so far. She's still at the the ranch, the farm that she lives on, the compound. Yeah. And, and Dewey and Gail, after having this discussion, go to the actress that plays Gail, uh, Jennifer. Yeah, they go to Jennifer's house, and that's where she she finds out. Oh, you've been living right next to her this whole time. We're at Jennifer's house. We get to learn some special piece of information that the killer is killing all the actors in the order of the script. Yes, which is kind of crazy. Which leaves us to um, to Gail's character being the next in the script to die. Yes, and she's scared, so she jumps into the arms of Patrick Warburton. Which, fair enough. He's a big guy. I feel like, you know, I'd feel safe with him around. I will say he's only one security guard, though. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'd, I'd like to have more than one. Or maybe, like, a system. Like, some kind of security system would be nice. But, yeah, you know, things are expensive. And then, like, Gail, like, finds out about all this. And she's not happy. No, she's not happy that uh, Dewey's living right next to her. Which, I mean... Uh, I'm sorry, Gail. Little too little too late. Yeah. This ain't your man anymore. You're the one that left him. She absolutely did. So it's like, why are you upset? You're just jealous. Yeah, you got nothing to complain about. But then again, I don't think there's anything going on between Dewey and Jennifer. Nah, I like that. At least we don't know. Yeah, I don't don't think anything crazy like that is going on. I think maybe they're friends and maybe they're close friends, but nothing, you know, romantic seems to be amiss. Yes, and I might be missing the order here at this point, um, but after this, uh, I think they go back to the Stab film set. They go to Kincaid. Okay. So Kincaid is like kind of showing, I think, no, I think it's the other way. I forgot who's showing who. I think um, somebody is showing somebody else pictures of Maureen mm-hmm. and being like, you know this woman? So we cut back to the Stab 3 film set where we're with Roman, the director, with Jennifer and Dewey. And Roman, all he cares about right now is like, like, oh, man, am I not going to get to make my movie? Like, oh, everybody else's fault that they're dying. And I'm like, come on, my guy, show some sympathy. But I guess you don't care. You sure don't. And you know what makes it even more sus is that somehow the cops show up and they trace the phone call because we find out that Candy is dead. Yes. And they're shutting down production of this movie because this is another, you know, another death and it's just going to only f- like add fuel to the fire for everything going on. 
in the world. So they're like, we're just going to go ahead and say no. Yeah. Here we also learn um, that somebody, you know, that somebody told them that Roman was supposed to be meeting with Candy. He didn't end up showing up, but they were on a phone. And he was like, I didn't get on that phone. The killer must have been using the voice manipulator. Yeah. And then that also, like, led me to believe, like, you know, this voice that um, that Sydney keeps hearing of her mom. I'm like, is that also, like, a fake voice? It's the same thing. That is that was very confusing. A little bit. Um, the, uh, like all this, all this stuff coming happening with Sydney and whether or not it was real, because she keeps having these visions of her mother. Yes. And she's in the middle of like a phone call back at her house, and she, the voice switches to her mother's voice. Yes. And she's freaked out. She doesn't know what's going on. And Sydney, I don't either. Wouldn't you be? Oh hell yeah. I would be so freaked out. But she has a gun now, which is sick as hell. I'm like, oh, you got a gun. Okay. Very proud of her. This is good. Yeah, me too. She needs that gun. I also think that her hiding out and stuff while dealing with all of this is an, is another good, I don't know, she's doing good in the world because of her situation. So she's taking everything that she's learned and helping others. And I just think it's like good. But then she's also helping herself in a way by protecting herself. I think it is isolating to the degree that... Um, she's not living like a good, fulfilling life, but that's kind of similar to what her dad said, at least. But uh, yeah, she's trying her best. Yeah, you know, like get on with her life, but at the same time, you know, be safe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we go all the way back to Jennifer's house, and the whole gang is there. All the actors. We kind of get to talk to the actors that play Sydney. Yes. Um. I don't know their name. Emily Emily Mortimer is the actor's the actor's real name. Um, playing Angelina. What it, what is it? Angelina something. So Emily is playing Angelina, who's playing Sydney. Yeah, Angelina Tyler. That is so insane. <laughs> it's, it's so much to remember. Yeah, but she's kind of she's kind of she she comes off to me as innocent. She does not to me. She's very fucking like suspicious. Oh, yeah. and that was my first original thought interesting was like i was like she's and it was too obvious i was like it's almost like obviously suspicious but they do that anyway to kind of throw you off or you're guessing at this point i'm I'm still feeling like i don't know like she she's just there um because she doesn't get that many lines but uh they're they're all at jennifer's house and all the actors are there as well with dewey and gail yeah and it's weird because Gail kind of pull, pulls dewey into like the kitchen and they talk for a bit about like maureen prescott and these pictures but the when they go back into the living room where everybody was nobody's there anymore and dewey's freaking the fuck out he he dewey has a gun as well and he's like ready to shoot anybody oh yeah but you know nobody's there to shoot it's all just the actors as they come back into the room and meanwhile uh patrick warburton's character is looking inside (laughs) dewey's van like looking for the killer and they kind of have like a little argument and then out of nowhere, Gose comes up behind Patrick Warburton and stabs him in the back. I thought that was insane. I did not see it coming. Well, I mean, I did see something coming, but not that. And also, there's no way that Patrick Warburton wouldn't have beat the killer's ass. Yeah, I've got to say, they were in a little cramped space and he got stabbed in the back. So it's, 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 That's true. Not much you can do. But then he also was blindsided. Like, there wasn't really much of a face-off there. It was really a just behind your back situation then again like those blind spots kind of would hinder you i I assume yeah also forgot to mention during all of these like these last few scenes that we talked about we find out there's 
there's three different scripts going on. So it could be anybody's game. Anybody could die at this point. So it's not just Gale being targeted. It's all of them. Yeah. Which is which. And they all start freaking yes. out. Yes. They all start freaking out because Patrick Warburton walks back to the house and he's been stabbed in the back. So they all run into the house and they're like, "Oh no, what's going on?" Everybody, calm down. And then the lights cut off. Mm-hmm. So they're all freaking out. They all leave the house to the poolside, but then the fax machine starts going off and. So they run inside to read the fax machine, and it's a script about what's happening <laughs> what? right now. Oh, my God. I thought the scene was so funny because they just kept waiting to see what would come I out. I am not reading that. I am. I don't care about no fax machine. I'm trying to get out of here. Exactly. And Dewey's, like, trying to assemble everyone. Like, let's go. Let's go. But They don't want to. They They want to read the script. The guy playing Dewey, who was played by not, not David Arquette, but the the this is the <laughs> it's so confusing um okay it really is. matt keesler who's playing tom prince who's playing dewey <laughs> right yeah he goes back into the house because he's like i have to know stupid head <laughs> yeah it's kind of dummy like they're all like that and then you know he can't see it so he goes to grab a lighter to read the script yep. which i'm like it's gonna burn the paper my guy yeah <laughs> yeah he's so dumb but when when he turns the lighter on, we uh, this a uh, very unexpected for me scene ensues. Yes, where he and the rest of the house blow up. I had no idea this is coming. Me neither. It also makes no sense to me because it doesn't make sense like, to me either. If there if the house was filled with CO two, you'd be able to smell that. Like I, I I work in a kitchen and like I like whenever there's like the CO two stuff. I could I could smell it from a mile away, and also you got detectors, and also the Ghostface banked on somebody turning a lighter on. That's what I'm saying. Like, like that's the most rant. What if one of them had a flashlight? <laughs> like, then it wouldn't have gone off. But it blows up. My poor man, he's gone as hell. He's dead as he's fuck. Burning baby, burning. And everybody else just runs. Um, I don't know if they get blown away or if they run off a hill. Uh, they run like off a hill. I think I think I don't know exactly the order, but I know that Gale almost gets killed in this process. Yes, the ghost face comes behind a car. Yeah, and like it's about to stab her, but Dewey like shoots at him from the top of the. Hill. There's no way he did not fucking hit him. By the way, there's no way, no chance. I I think he did hit him. That's what I'm saying. What's even weirder though is like Ghostface kind of crawls underneath the car, and he just gets away, and what's and then the 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 really fun Dewey Gale music starts playing. Well, they start looking at each other, like everything is suddenly <laughs> safe. I don't know why they feel safe. Everything is yeah. just happened. Like he could still be around, but they kind of just, they're smiling. It's so funny. After all that, they're smiling and laughing and looking at each other. Yes. I'm like, come on. But at the same time, maybe they're just desensitized to this. This happens every other year. So, I mean, it's like. They have like horrible timing anyway, because. <laughs> Like every like the last time they had this moment, they they both almost died. Yep. Yeah, they almost got caught by Ghostface. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what happens in these movies. And it's just so funny because it's like this whole will they, won't they, and I'm like, you don't have time to will they, won't they. You're about to die. No, there's a killer here. But you know that. Oh my gosh, the actress playing Gail Weathers, not Courtney Cox. Yes. But Jennifer uh, sees them talking to each other, and she's like, "What the hell happened back there?" And she slaps Dewey across the face for not protecting her. Mm-hmm. And then Courtney Cox slaps her in the face for touching her man like that. That's dedication. For once, it is not Gail getting got. Yeah, she she got the... Well, it is in a, in a sense because she got the mm-hmm. other Gail. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. Just a hilarious scene. And then Angelina, playing Sydney, shows up and is so sus. Like, where did she go? <laughs> yeah, I was a little... It was... The blocking of the shot was weird, where she was separated from the rest of the characters, and I thought... Oh, she, I actually thought she was going to get got right there. That Ghostface was going to mm-hmm. pull up from the woods or something. But no, she's just there. Uh, like a Clue movie, like a very cliche, tropey kind of thing, they find like a message from the killer underneath the car. It's, it's a photo of Maureen Prescott, and on the back of it, it says, I killed her. It's kind of funny. It's kind of random. It's like Scooby-Doo. Because this whole thing with the mom in this movie... I just think it's really funny because I'm like, what? But we're getting close to explaining kind of why they're doing this because I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't seen it. However, it did come out in 2000, so it's been like 23 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, this, this is filled. We're literally talking about the movie. If you're still listening to this and you don't want to know what happens, you're insane. We go to the police station and they're telling uh, Ken Cade what's happening. And they're like, we have to do something. And he's like, I need Sydney." Yeah, it's it's kind of odd if I'm being honest, because like he is very like adamant. Maybe yeah, maybe he's just you know really like this is his life, his career, and that's why he wants you know to make this happen. But he kind of starts like threatening Dewey. Yeah, and they have like this little back and forth, and I'm like, come back off, my fella. He says obstructing justice or something like that. Yeah, he says like he's gonna get him on that. Like he's like, if you don't help me, you're gonna be the one that gets in trouble. I know. Which I'm like, come on, my fella. This scene was so iconic though i was like yes it's it's fascinating because we're an hour into the movie right Mm -hmm. and he decides okay fine i'll 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 call sydney so he calls sydney over the phone they're in different cities supposedly uh to uh, as far as he knows and then she's not answering her phone but she pulls up to the precinct right then and there while he's trying to contact her Mm -hmm. so it's not until an hour into the movie that sydney joins up with the rest of the team which is fascinating because she's, you know, the main character. I was reading about that, actually. It didn't dawn on me until like we started talking that she wasn't in it a lot. Not as much as she usually is. I'm assuming maybe she had something going on with her schedule in general, but... It says here in like the in the trivia that I that I have found that uh, uh, her contract only allowed her to be on set for just twenty days, which is why her screen time was reduced. Oh wow! So because of it being reduced, the emphasis was being put on everyone else. You know, I didn't mind it. I, I kind of liked hanging out with Dewey and Gail. I think they're really enticing characters, mm-hmm. and I like Sydney, but she doesn't have as much personality that uh, as Gail or Dewey, in my opinion. Well. I think there's also a reason for that. She's severely traumatized as well. Yeah, that makes sense. But, oh man, I felt so bad for Sydney in this movie. God, anyway. <laughs> so Sydney's at the at the police precinct or whatever, the police station, and then she finds out what, what's going on. And Dewey has been withholding this information from her. And oh yeah, it's weird. She's like, why wouldn't you tell me it's about my mother? And he's like... Yeah, she gets a little mad. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, yes. he, he he's just trying to keep her safe. Like, he if she doesn't have to be involved, he's trying to keep it away from her so she can live on her own and so nobody gets suspicious about where she is. But right for her, it's like, well, this is about me. I'd, I'd want to know about this. And he's kind of deciding for her, which, you know, she, she doesn't like. I just feel so bad for Sydney because all of this stuff just keeps happening to her. And she also made this fascinating comment. I don't know if I'd call it fascinating. It's really kind of sad. Um, about her mother to her dad earlier in the movie where she was like none of this would have happened if it weren't for her yeah because she that, that, that's kind of part of what this movie's about is her relationship with her mother yeah 
and like how she feels about them and, and it's 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 fascinating because she's like like you said she's like like this is this is all because of our mom my mom isn't it because if she didn't sleep with so-and-so billy would have never gone on this killing spree and then the copycat killer would have never done all this and that but she was also a victim her mom was a victim right and i think this movie in particular kind of like exposes that even more that you know she 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 fell into her problems because she herself uh was victimized yes i agree um so then we're on this film set and our sweet sweet randy makes one final appearance i was screaming i was i was too i was like yeah it's randy Randy." you know when we watched the first one i was like randy okay this guy whatever he didn't mean anything to me and then by the time he died and screamed too i was like oh i didn't know i would miss randy i didn't know that you know i liked randy you know what you never know what you have until right. you miss it. <laughs> I didn't know, but luckily for me, I got another scene with him. What's so funny to me is this scene is so random, and it really was, like, confusing because we've never, obviously, we've never met uh, Randy's sister, Martha, but she shows up out of, no, out of, out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, literally nowhere, but I, I was watching this movie with my partner, and she immediately immediately recognized her. Yeah, the Princess Diaries the, from the Princess Diaries. Correct, next to uh, Anne Hathaway uh, in those movies. Which those are great movies, but um, again, we won't be watching them on this. No, podcast. We, we we won't. But that's okay. Now, if they were horror, if they had like death and whatever, then maybe. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just thought this this scene made no sense. Well. It is very, it doesn't make sense, but it, it, it makes sense in the way they tell it. But it's very odd that at randomly at some point in Scream 2, Randy took a side to be like, hey, guys, you know what? I might not make it. This is for everybody in the future. I'm going to help you out. You know what? The more I talk about it, this makes complete sense. Because <laughs> Randy would yeah. know that he might not make it. Yeah, for the especially... Sequel. Especially because of his knowledge of the horror movies and stuff. Exactly. But why would his sister show up of all people? And how would she know that they were all going to be there? She's 17 years old. My brain's like, what? This makes no sense. The only thing I can explain is she found the VHS because he died. Right? Uh-huh. So, like, so like she, 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 like, Randy, I assume, had it set up for this VHS to only be found upon his death and after martha is her name correct yeah after martha found this vhs you know she 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 hears about everything going on uh over there in hollywood and and that's why she shows up to like hey he made this for you guys i just still think it's so strange but so it's a mm-hmm. stretch for sure yeah it 1000 percent is but he makes a point to say like guys the sequel rules they're different because now you're dealing with the final part of a trilogy yes and i'm enamored by this i find randy's little rules very like endearing and like part Mm -hmm. of like the lure of these films i love them i think that they should definitely like do merch with like all of the rules but actually finish the rules because every time something gets left out i think the most important rule is that like if he mentions that in the third movie 
you're not dealing you're dealing with like a super villain like you can't just shoot them you can't just like stab him you have to like cryogenically freeze his head and decapitate him or blow him up i really like that yeah it is very fun um i wrote down all of those rules he did say that like with it being a trilogy it's like this one's a rare a rarity like this one is like different than the others and the sense that like the past will always come back uh any character is up for grabs even the main character mm, that means you sydney is what he says and i'm like that's cute we go back to the beginning to reveal something because there's always a big reveal which we find out is this movie is centered around um sydney and her mom and um yeah i thought these rules were pretty instrumental in this movie because it kind of sets the scene for like the rest of it and how it all relates because we're all like why her mom up until this point because i'm like this is just it feels so random but then you're like oh randy explained it that makes sense he knows he would know yeah he really does and it really you know closes the corners because this one more than the second one i feel like this one is more connected to the first movie than the second movie is in a lot of ways you can almost skip the second movie like the second movie all the the only important event is randy dying yeah Um, because this movie makes way more connections with the first one i agree so then after they have this big like sequence where they find out like anyone's up for grabs kind of like shakes and shakes them up a little bit and so gail dewey and sydney split up i think i don't which of course why would you ever do that why do you do that they they keep splitting up i'm scared courtney cox decides to try to go into like this little basement area and like i'm like this is totally a murderable space and she's being followed by Jennifer because Jennifer decides that, oh, they're coming after me. But really, they're coming after you. So I'm going to be with you the whole time. So in case they come after me, they can just go after you instead because you're the one they really want. I admired her for that. I thought that was really like smart. I love this pairing. I just love seeing these two together. It's funny. I thought they did really well together. So they go into the archive room. Fun fact, they meet this character at the desk and... They're trying to ask for information about Maureen Prescott, who would have been Maureen Roberts. But it's played by Carrie Fisher, which is amazing. I love Carrie yes. Fisher. What a great, great cameo. Carrie Fisher, yeah. However, apparently, Jamie Lee Curtis was offered the, this role as well, but turned it down. I wonder why. I know. I wonder why, too. But I think I think Carrie Fisher was perfect for it because I don't think... Oh, uh, yeah. I think that uh, the chemistry between the characters and their banter and stuff, I think it is perfect. If it were yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis, I still think Jamie Lee Curtis would have done a fantastic job because it's, ja- it's Jamie Lee Curtis. But I think Carrie yeah, Fisher. I, I really like the perfect fact choice because when they come and see her, they're like, "Are you?" And she's like, "No, I get it all the time," which is so <laughs> funny because it is. It's so meta. I love it. So then we find out they kind of bribe her to, you know, show records and stuff and which is so funny because gail weathers lays down a 50 dollar bill and jennifer's like a 50 dollar bill like what are you a high school reporter like it just cracked <laughs> okay, me up okay i see yeah because she wants some more money baby yeah so then jennifer takes off a fancy like big ring worth two thousand dollars and was like now will you help us and of course who wouldn't right and so then we find out maureen prescott was an actress and she was going under the name rena reynolds yeah which is i guess happens a lot mm-hmm. yeah like yeah, the, people have different stage yeah. names and, and stuff. you'll look at you can see if you if you're a wikipedia fiend like me 
uh, you'll know that because when you look up to, like an actor's name or something, you'll go onto Wikipedia and then it'll be like this way longer name that you completely oh, yeah. didn't know about. And then in parentheses, it'll be like, I don't know, Lil Wayne or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Perfect description. Well, we find out Rena or Maureen rather was in a bunch of like horror movies, which I thought was really fun. And we find out that John Milton is the horror producer. Who is the same producer of Stab 3? I said Scream. I just no, said Scream 3. Stab, you dumbo. I know. I know, I know. Now, so, so now we got something to go off of. We got to talk to John Milton. Yes. And you know what's so funny? Before we get into that scene, because that scene was a lot. Um. Oh, man. It really was. Yeah, that scene was a lot. I think it was happening at the same time as Sydney being in the bathroom again. Yeah, it, it's it's... I, I immediately thought about it. Sydney's in a bathroom, and I'm like, oh, we've been in the bathroom before. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you see the boots, and I'm like, oh, this is familiar. And this time she looks under the stalls. I don't know if she did in the first one. Did she look underneath the stalls? Yeah, she did. Okay. But she sees there's a boot. She already knows what it is. But this time she tries to confront it. She does. She's like, I'm tired of this. Yeah. But it's not Ghostface. It's herself. Yeah. The person <laughs> portraying her. Angelina. Uh, it's Angelina. She was about to mace her. So, but... not to mention, it's so suspicious because we find her like setting up on the toilet. Who would do? Who would do that? Why is she on the toilet? Is she trying? Okay, my <laughs> only thing is she's got a bunch of crap from the movie, right? Uh, specifically, a ghost face costume, right? Uh, that's kind of sus, dog. I'm voting you out of the ship. Right. But I guess she's standing on top of the toilet because she doesn't want to be caught with all this stuff. That's fair because you know you're t- typically you're not supposed to take things from sets. I do know that that's like a thing. But who's gonna come into the stall looking right for you to have stuff? I mean, come on. I don't know why she was standing on the toilet. It was just so strange because like you know you go to the bathroom to go to the bathroom, but like why would you sit up on the toilet like that? I agree. But Sydney, unless she thought Sydney was somebody else and was going to catch but her. But why would they go into the stall to catch you? Exactly. Yeah, that's a pretty safe space. Plot hole. But she she explains to Sydney like, oh, I'm just stealing this shit. Uh, don't tell anybody. I like you a lot. And then Sydney's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, and I would have like not been okay with that. I would have been like, okay, like, but why are you hiding? I would have been more confrontational about the situation, I think. I don't know what I would have done. No. But I wouldn't have trusted this girl. I wouldn't have either. I would have tried to get away from Angelina. She left a hairbrush. So Sydney's like, hey, girl, you left your hairbrush. She tries to follow her. Ventures out to bring it back to her. She's faced with her replica home. Like her home. It's like in her face. Isn't that weird? God, it was so weird. Do you have a childhood home? Like a home that you grew up in for a long time? I do. Sometimes I drive by it. Oh, really? Occasionally if I'm in that part of town. Uh, it's really fascinating. Like being... It's like it's almost like a liminal space. If you ever get the opportunity to go to your childhood home as an adult, it's because you spend so much time there and you're so familiar with it. But like looking at it with like a different perspective as an adult is is really something. Yeah, I agree. Um, And especially something for somebody like Sydney who like has suffered here, you know, and she hasn't gone back here in a long time, considering that, you know, she went to college and after college, she live somewhere else right because her dad was like maybe you need to come home every once in a while but i imagine she probably does not want to go home no and i wouldn't blame her no that's where all the bad stuff happened yeah and um she tries to go in there which i can only imagine how triggering that it's going to be for her she walks by like um 
a prop replica of Stu's house too. And she like it maybe looks like they've already filmed the whole Tatum scene where Tatum gets got in the in the in the pet door. <laughs> Um, and then somehow she goes to her replica bedroom and she's remembering moments with Billy. Yeah, she, she remembers, and though you hear the voice line, you hear Billy Loomis's voice. And it's kind of freaky because I'm like, mm-hmm. you see some flashbacks and Sydney looks so different. I didn't really realize it, but Sydney looks so much younger in Scream 1. And it's just mm-hmm. a haircut change. I think it's the main difference. I think so too. She's, I think she just looks very, like, looks older and not in like a bad way. At no. all, she looks she looks great, especially in this movie. She looks fantastic. She um, does, and she gets spooked by somebody at the door. Oh yes, which is like that is terrifying. So she goes to look at the door, does the thing she did in the first movie where she kind of like puts the doorknobs to hold each other, mm-hmm. the closet and the front door. Um, but Ghostface comes up from behind the win- window and grabs her waist and suplexes her. Oh my god, that scene! I was not expecting it. I was not. Me neither. Oh, I, I, I didn't see it coming. Uh, but he suplexes her onto all the food. Yes. It was so wild. I don't know if that was real food or not. I believe it was because typically with movies and like movie sets, they usually will have food out for the cast members and crew members to eat. At least I learned that from like listening to a lot of like movie podcasts and stuff like that. Well, I wonder if it's good. <laughs> I think it depends on the day. I think it's like different each day or something. Or if you're eating something in a movie scene, I know that like people have to continuously eat that for until they get the scene where they want it to be so some people will like say oh i chose to eat an egg sandwich in this scene and i had to eat an egg sandwich for five hours i love egg sandwiches like it's just so funny because like you think that it would be great to just eat it and eat it and eat it but then they're like you have to reset the scene and you have to do it over and over again so they're like i can't ever look at it the same way (laughs) oh no that sucks. I love it. But they look like they smashed into a bunch of carrots, which I'm like. Yeah, okay. like like finger foods almost. I like carrots, but I mean, I'd rather have an egg sandwich. <laughs> I agree. But Sydney kind of jukes this guy. Sydney kind of jukes this fella. Oh, yeah. Because it's a set. So when she goes into like a door, it's not a real door. It opens up to like her bedroom. And so she kind of hides in a corner until Ghostface opens up the door and then throws him onto the bed while she gets away. But unfortunately, the next room that she goes into is her mom's room. Yes. And it's a bloody mess in there. It is. And then she like sees her like stand up. Get up. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm like, what is happening? Is this for realsies or not? I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell at all. Me neither. I think I don't know, because I'm also questioning at this point, like. The last two movies each had two killers, mm-hmm. but in this one, it appear I haven't been given anything to make me think that there's more than one killer until this scene, really, because I could see, yeah, oh, it might be two killers. One of the ghost faces just got caught uh, by Sydney thrown onto the bed. This might be a different ghost face, right? Uh, in this body bag that gets up from the ground, but ultimately, I don't think so. I think it's just Sydney having this vision. I mean, I think that it's possible because, you know, when you get so scared, sometimes you see things that you don't want to see. Sometimes you hear things that you don't want to hear. Like, whenever your senses are heightened, it's like they play into your fears for whatever reason. Well, this made her jump out the dang window. (laughs) It sure did. Which is kind of scary. And it's not until then that everybody finally came in. Of course. She's like, he's up there. He's up there. They go look for her for the for the killer not there nobody's there nobody's home nobody's home 
Nobody's home. And they interrogate Angelina about, like, you shouldn't be having this stuff. What are you doing, huh? They sure do. She's like, I'm just trying to steal it. And they're like, oh, you're stealing? <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. It gave me a little bit of anxiety, but it's fine. Um, yeah. Let's see. So she hears Dewey and all of that stuff, too. And so, but I, I don't know. I'm kind of convinced that she heard Dewey, but it was the killer because we've been dealing with this this killer with this new gadget that has multiple yeah. voices so i'm like the voice changer which by the way is legendary that's like really cool but that's right kim k takes her away to somewhere safe meanwhile we we get to go meet up with milton i think it's his name. yeah john milton the producer. the producer and let me tell you this scene made me particularly uncomfortable me no likey me no likey at all and just a preface, uh, just a preface that it's kind of a trigger warning, like sexual abuse, yes. sexual trauma, yep. um, all of that stuff. So if it's sensitive to you, you might want to tune out um, or maybe skip ahead. Um, but the, not to mention, this movie is also produced by the Weinstein brothers, who are notoriously awful and notoriously known for their sexual abuse, abuse of power. What it's have kind you? Of ironic. It's so ironic that they would even allow this scene to be in this movie. Yeah, because now you know, like we've been saying this whole time, this is a meta movie. Yes. Like, and, and so they're talking about the film industry here, and right. how when Maureen Prescott, who was going by Rita Reynolds at the time, was doing these horror movies, the way to get roles in this industry is to sleep with these men, yep. to get into rooms with this man. And have find a way to have them offer you a role. He didn't, and, and and Milton, he didn't just you know participate in this. He's the one that like organized it. He said he was known for these parties. Yep. Um, he said that in the seventies everything was different. He said, essentially, he alluded that Marine got taken advantage of, but he literally said nothing didn't happen that she didn't invite. Oof. And when I was so upset. Yeah, big yikes, my guy. Yeah. And then he said something to the effect of play the game or go home about women. She essentially was too innocent for the game. Yeah. Because you have to play the game or like know how to play the game in order to get what you want. But that's so like unfair to women. Really? If you're not willing to sleep with me, you don't want this role. Yeah. If you're not willing to sleep with me, then you don't you don't want it bad enough. No, go back home. Exactly. I'm like, that is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. And they should have... uh, absolutely reported him and they're like well there's not much we can do he's just a pervert and (laughs) and question mark i mean i don't even i i'm of the belief that it it even goes a little further because at that point you're manipulating these people and using your authority over them because if you're like 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 it happened to rita like uh he she didn't want to participate in these kinds of things and you know you could get blacklisted yeah to where you can't work in this industry anymore. Which is so sad that women have have it that hard. Um like I mean it's hard enough. It's hard enough. And I'm not I'm not making assumptions for men either because I don't know what their journey to rising fame is like, but I just know about the story of women because of the Me Too movement that's been very right. loudly expressed. Obviously, if men experience this, they should never have to go through this either. Nobody should. Nobody should. It's absolutely ridiculous. No. And you should not ever have to abuse your power to, you know, lift someone up. Like Yeah, and, and this scene is in here while while the Harvey Weinstein Ugh. 
is involved who himself participated in the exact thing they're talking about exactly and i was like so it was so ironic because i was like you like as a producer first of all it's absolutely insane and difficult to find a movie that they have not produced yeah they have touched so many movies so they um, imagine like how much of an impact that they have had in this me too movement in a bad way i can't i can't even wrap my head around it and i don't feel bad for them they deserve nothing but the worst (laughs) however they did produce some good movies unfortunately so it's really hard to find them without their names um everywhere plastered everywhere but yeah this scene was so ironic to me because i was like why would they predators allow this scene to be in this movie where people are going to sympathize it calls them out specifically it like, really really does and what they did i wonder if that was on purpose i don't think so i think the writing uh like because they, they i don't think they had anything to do with the writing of that um but mm-hmm. you know i guess they couldn't say anything either because then they'd be doing the exact thing like oh let's not include this part yeah. in here uh Oh, yeah. Apparently, Wes Craven, by the way, was also briefly considered for the role of John Milton, which is very fascinating because I would not want to see Wes Craven's sweet self (laughs) be that terrible character. And that's always interesting. Like, there's always somebody who has to play these characters. And it's, it's, (laughs) you know, like, who wants to play a predator? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, But somebody's got to do it. Because you don't want to be that person. But then again, like, usually at this point, people kind of, they get their their end or whatever. So usually in these movies, there's some sort of, like, message of hope. Like retribution? Yeah. Like, people kind of get uh, what they got coming to them, essentially. Yeah, and what they deserve. And John Milton does. It, was it as... Was it as brutal as it should have been? No. Should Sydney have killed him? Yes, but <laughs> it's fine. But we'll see it here in a bit. Yeah. It's a good scene. Mm-hmm. It is a but good before scene. Before we get there, Kincaid and Sydney are having a conversation and they're just they're kind of talking First of all, about like, okay. I think that there there's so much chemistry here. Mm. unintentional chemistry i don't know if it was meant to be this way if it was supposed to be a, I don't, a will they won't they of them but they kind of like related on their on their like uh i don't know like well sydney has her trauma to relate to but he you know he sees homicide cases a detective yeah yeah so he gets to see all of his trauma as well they kind of like related on that and kind of like yeah i really didn't like it you did because it seemed no i did not like it at all okay because i just i'm i'm very distrustful of men just throwing that out there yeah and he's working a job like a murder case and he's like halfway flirting with a victim right. <laughs> and i'm like the power complex here isn't isn't there buddy I, I i don't like this at all and sydney's not really you know taking the bait or anything she's just have she's just trying to have a normal conversation like anybody else would i think uh, and, i love her banter like their banter back and forth is uh is really fun as well even though it might be ick to you i think it's fun because um i think someone says something like all bets are off at some point i don't remember exactly to what context but i wrote that down so i don't know what that meant <laughs> Um, and then Kincaid asked Sydney what she knew about her mother and, you know, Sydney talks about like her mother having so many secrets and living a secret life that she had no idea about. And then 
at some point he's about to leave and she stops him and was like what's your favorite scary movie and he says my life and i'm like i hate it i'm that. like boy me <laughs> no i'm like like it, my it bothered me mostly because he gets like right in her face like, yes, like he, she, i agree with she that she asks her this question and and, and he like like really confronts her and, and that makes him look suspicious it does like like he might be the killer it does and he just says my life which first of all horrible question answer to the question my my fella like that's kind of quinge like that's not a movie <laughs> I, like um, come on yeah but i mean i understand in the context of like being a homicide detective like i imagine that's I gotta guess. i mean even though you signed up to do it it's gotta be a lot and it's I'm sure. especially if like you you don't get to catch the guy or I'm just, I'm not I'm making assumptions that it's a guy homicides are not just guys it's all genders, um, but like I imagine like if someone gets away with it or something then you I, I imagine that would be horrific that would be like something that would haunt you, which I guess makes sense because he's super adamant about getting this killer he sure like is, I, I'm almost a little too adamant a little bit and I'll be honest, I was not sus of him until later like okay. but I'll, I'll explain when i when i when i was the exact moment where i wrote down he's the killer whoa because i literally was like i was so fucking convinced. oh you were sure i was sure of oh, it okay. i was I like was, i was i was like this is it's it's him i i was thinking maybe him or and if there were two killers it would make sense that it'd be him and his partner yeah right 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 that's what i was thinking but I didn't. Okay. I didn't think of his partner because I thought his partner was a little less involved in the movie. So I was like, "Well, yeah. it'd be kind of random for the partner to really be involved." Uh, I don't know if that logic stands the reason, considering the events of Scream Two. That's true. Where the killer ended up being somebody we did, we barely saw. That's the movie. so true. Mickey was so fucking random. Out of all the people, yeah. Mickey's like, "I'm creating more... a sequel." <laughs> yeah, that made no sense. It at really all. didn't, but it was fun. But. Dewey Gill and Jennifer are in a car and they get a call from Sydney, a very suspicious call that doesn't sound anything like Sydney would say. Right. But it's in her voice. So it leads them to head to a party for Roman, right? Yeah, Roman's birthday party or something. Roman's birthday party being held at Milton's house. Yeah. And strangely enough, they all show up. And so it's Jennifer, Dewey, and Gail, like you said, they show up to the party. And so the people who are already there so far are Roman. Um, which they're at Milton's house. Where's Milton? That's my question. And then Tyson is there and Angelina is there. But of course, Sarah was dead at that point. So she wasn't there, obviously. It was just such a weird vibe walking into it. I'm not going to lie. I was like, something is off. Obviously, we know something's going to go down anyway. But like, to me, as, as, as like a person, I'm like, and I would, if I were walking into that place, I'd be like, where where is sydney and if she's not here i'm leaving immediately yeah but they kind of stay and they start like pairing off and going away because they still don't know i guess they show up sydney's not there and they just assume sydney's going to be what there, about that sydney's coming what about when when they were like oh Sid, we got a call from sydney saying that she was gonna be here and he was like sydney's here and he points to angelina angelina like, angelina right. sydney what were your thoughts on that because i thought it was really funny I know some actors do go like based off of like their name. So like they're like, Oh, I'm gonna stay in character the whole time. Do not call me Johnny Depp, call me Pirate Man. Pirate I'm not Man familiar with the movie. Uh, Captain, I don't know what he's called. Captain Jack Sparrow, get it together. Yeah, okay, fine. Um I've only seen the first one. Oh no, you need to watch them all. They're they're pretty good. I've only seen the first three, so there's like five of them now. 
or six. But um, not that, that's not important. Anyway, so yeah, I understand what you mean. Like the method acting. They're like, I'm going to really yeah. put myself in this situation. I think that's really harmful, though, because some people like, I don't know, they will put themselves through so much like physical transitions, um, so many uh, like mental transitions or like if i'm not mistaken i think like for an example adrian brody for the pianist uh was homeless like to be method for that if i'm not mistaken and i was like that is just too much yeah way or, too much or I, and i understand it it adds to their craft but i'm also like you can do that without yeah. doing that or like that jared leto with the joker oh like my god he was you know trying to be crazy the whole time so he was sending dead rats in the mail that man's got bad vibes. He's a great actor, but he's got yeah, he bad vibes written actor, all over but him. That's, usually that's how it is. It's, celebrities are the weirdest and worst people. That's so true. But speaking of celebrities, we have these like actors in this house. And they're all like Scooby-Dooing it. Like, oh, we're looking for this private screening room. Yeah. And they're splitting up again. Why you you would learn? You'd think you would learn at this point. I'm like, yeah, exactly. And they thought it's Dewey and Gail find out that like, oh, where's Sydney? And so Gail's like, you have caller ID, dude. And he's like, yeah, let me try to call it back. So he calls it back, and they hear a phone ringing right next to them. So it's not Sydney's real number. It's this copycat phone in this closet that has the voice changer next to it, as well as a ghost face costume. And they started freaking out. This reveal was so fun. I really liked this reveal. I thought it was not as, uh, I don't know, it wasn't boring. It was just really fun to me because, like, it's in plain sight in the house, but, like, you wouldn't know unless you called the number back. But then again, I think caller ID was relatively new at this point. Mm, I could be wrong. I hadn't thought about that. Let me I can I can look that up, honestly. Because in, in, in Scream 2, you can see that Sydney Prescott has caller ID because somebody calls her pretty early on in the movie and she's like uh this is illegal do the thing yada 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 and she knows her name because she has caller ID but they seem surprised to know that she has caller ID so it's probably not a common thing it's just very interesting to me that I'm like oh you you wouldn't think to check your caller ID because now we're very fortunate with our uh basically laptops as phones where if somebody's calling and it's somebody that we don't know, it's a spam risk or it says no caller ID or unknown caller. And we know not to fucking answer it. <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes, yeah. Uh, and even sometimes if, if you don't see the caller ID on your phone, like you won't answer it. Like if it's somebody you don't know, you'll just let it go to voicemail or something. Right. Right. Yeah. But they ain't got this. They They answer like every phone call. Yeah, they do, of course. But after this, Dewey gets spooked, and so him and Gail split up, and like, we gotta gather everybody and get the heck out of here. So Gail goes looking for Roman, and who was she with? Angelina? Or was Roman, she with? No, Roman was with uh, Jennifer. Jennifer, right. And they find this really spooky basement with all these props and like stuff from movies since it's milton's house and he finds this treasure chest looks in it and it's like this glowing green little light jennifer's at the top of the stairs she kind of doesn't want to go down there yeah because she's a little spooked um but courtney cox finds the same basement looking for them goes down there herself and finds roman dead in that treasure chest with a knife through his chest and then this is the biggest jump scare oh of the my movie for yes me. it did actually scare me a little she it spooks her so she backs up into a wall and then jennifer pops out of the wall 
And I'm like, ah, because they both scream and it scares the crap out of me because I was not you expecting it. You know, at it. this point, which first of all, I was kind of sus of Roman at this point because of the way that he was talking about Sydney and he was like talking about like, oh, that's Sydney. And it wasn't like Sydney Prescott. It was like the actor, like the actor playing Sydney. And then um, when they did this and we found him dead, I was like, OK, well, no, it's not him. I'm not suspicious of him now because he's dead. Um it's Jennifer. Jennifer pops up down there in a weird spot. It's got to be her. Uh, I was going through it. It mm. really. Wow. So you were thinking it might have been yeah, Jennifer. Yeah, it really gave me a mental a mental wow. tug of war because I was like. I was I was kind of similar. I did suspect Roman at some parts, but by the time he died, I was like, yeah. oh, well, my man got yeah. got. And he was because he, he he is kind of like like Dewey in the sense of he's yeah. dumb. But he's dumb in a very egotistical But I, way, I will tell you something Dewey. that did cross my mind is whenever we find him dead in the coffin, something that uh, bring, like a flashback to the first scream when Billy pretended to be dead or injured or something, he had corn syrup on him. And I was like, "What? well, oh, yeah. this guy's a director and he has movies and stuff and he's around all of these props. What if it's just fake blood? But then I was like, no, he looks kind of dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so it did cross it did your for mind a second it did okay. well well gail grabs jennifer by the hand and they start li- making an exit but upon exiting they find uh angelina burst out of a room being like look i found a secret passage and she's really excited to tell them but they're like roman's dead we got to get out of here the killer's here and and angelina does this like 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 no i'm not gonna follow you i'm gonna go my yeah. own way like <laughs> And I'm like, why is she doing so this? And she turns around and she says, I did not fuck that pig Milton to get a leading ro- role just to die here with second rate celebrities like you two. And I was like, what? Yeah, that big reveal. I was like, oh, because people were like, they were kind of commenting on it throughout the whole film where it was, uh, you know, they were like, oh, that's a big part. And you would think that, you know, other people... Other people have probably like done crazy things to get the role. Well, I wonder what you did to get it, kind of thing. Yeah, like you have like fifty thousand people yeah. audition or something to get this role, and you got it. And so we we learn that she, you know, like a part of the theme of the movie, slept with the director to get this role, and does this goofiest run after she calls these two people second-rate celebrities. Mm-hmm. It's so funny the way oh she runs. God. She, like, sprawls her arms out. Yes. But she doesn't last very no, long whatsoever. She, does not. she runs down the stairs and gets God immediately. So, fun fact, um, the in the movie, they mentioned, like, the various scripts, and they, you know, have made comments about, like, different rewrites and stuff. Apparently, that's, that's so meta as well because it was happening in real life. There was another ending or another alternate. So, originally, uh, Angelina was going to be um, another person involved in some of the killings. Oh, I heard the same thing about Scream 2. That Scream 2. Really? Because that's, I, thought, I thought that's what they were referencing. That the script for Scream 2 got leaked. And so, they had to change some of the endings because people you know figured out what was actually going to happen and that originally Derek was going to be one of the killers her boyfriend in scream 2 um and that's why you know he seems so creepy at times and looks like he might be the killer but i don't know how much how true that is i wasn't around um for that obviously you know i was just a little baby when these movies were coming out 
Yeah, I agree. Um, it is really, really crazy, though, because I was like, oh, okay, that would have been interesting. But it, again, would have added to the suspiciousness of her, and it would have would explain why she was so suspicious throughout the film. Um, I don't know if that was intended, even though there were rewrites, but it definitely came across that way. Yep. And she dies, and she kind of lays down. Like, the way she's dead is hilarious. <laughs> she has her eyes wide open, and she kind of gets dragged away. Gail runs screaming. They find Dewey. And I think this is so funny because then they're all in a room together and then they're like, oh, Ghostface is here. What should we do? And then Ghostface pops out of nowhere and decks Dewey in the face, like on the side of his face. Oh, my it's God. It's the most yes, random. Yes, that was so funny. Not to mention, poor Dewey. He always gets got so hard. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they start having a tussle. He gets sliced in the shoulder, like the arm. I think it, yeah, the arm or something like that. And stabs Tyson. Yeah, R.I.P. Tyson. He did not deserve it. Nah. He was actually... He's still not dead, though. No, not yet. Not not yet at that point. But but then he gets got, because... Yeah. He runs upstairs, and then the the killer comes chasing him, and he gets thrown out the window. That scene was also funny. <laughs> <laughs> the killing scenes, are, they could be so, like... I don't know. Sometimes they can be so unserious, and then it's just very, like... I like that. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. Because you don't want it to be so dramatic anyway or so terrifying. But sometimes they are funny in that way. Um, So then we have uh, Jennifer is behind a mirror because she ends up going down like... No, she was in the closet. And then there's another like like, creepy doorway that leads to... Secret passage. Yeah. A secret Which is really cool. It is cool. It's... it's the idea of it is cool, but kind of the creepy. things I imagine this was used for is creepy. Yes, yeah. because they're it's mirrors and it's a, in a bedroom or something. It, it just yeah. I yeah, it, especially with it being the tone is very sexual or sexual assault yeah. kind of very you and yuck. Um, so then we have R.I.P. Angeline, R.I.P. Tyson at this point, and R.I.P. Jennifer because Dewey tries yep. to help and it's not it's not work. No. And then um, they have another like chase sequence, and then they end up back at the fucking basement. Gail falls down the stairs with Ghostface. Ghostface seems kind of like out of sorts. Yeah, they get knocked out. It's a kind of a callback to the second movie. Yes. At the end, Ghostface is out cold, and I guess Ghostface is like I don't know. This is just what happens to Ghostface. I don't know if this is represented and Dead by Daylight. I don't think it is. I think it should be. <laughs> it should be uh, he needs to be stunned nerf ghost face yeah um but literally the only thing that's going through my mind is rip off the fucking mask i don't know about rip off i don't care who it is i just want to kill him yeah that's too but like you know they always are like oh i wonder who it is like just rip it off kill, rip off the kill mask him and then rip it off but she was scared that if she ripped it off he would wake up and then yeah but she calls Dewey and like, hey, help me. I'm in the basement. And he's like, how do I know it's the real you or not? And, you know, she finally he finally opens up the door to see that it is her calling. And Ghostface throws his knife at Dewey. Like, there's a, like a sick. Oh, my God. Toss. It was so funny. It really is funny <laughs> because he hits him square in the forehead. But with the with the butt of the knife, not the sharp side. So Dewey falls down the stairs and 
Courtney Cox's first instinct is to go protect him, which I kind of liked. Like, she just goes to him. Ghostface is right there, but she doesn't run. She doesn't do anything. She just goes over to Dewey to make sure that he's okay, which is really sweet. Right. And then we... And at the, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you, you no, go you ahead. Go. No, no, you go. And then we cut back to Sydney <laughs> at the freaking police station. And I'm like... This is... As soon as we cut back here, this is when I was like, it's the fucking cop! Ooh, okay. Because he's not there... Roman at this point, I like we think is dead. Everyone else is dead, and where was he? He said that he was going to go check out the film set. Mm. I just didn't believe it. So I, at this point, I'm like, it's the cop. It's the fucking cop. Okay. It's got to be him. I could see that. That makes a lot of sense. I was mostly just like, oh yeah, because the, the everything else happening at back at the house feels like this is the end of the movie. Everything's like this is the climax that we're hitting. Like everything's going all cylinders, and then we come back to the police station. And I'm like, oh yeah. Like Sydney's not yeah. here, and I'm like, "What? It's kind of sucks. Like I, I did, like I, it kind of took me out of all the excitement, but yeah. it, it's important because it, it only you know Sydney has to be there somehow. So she gets a call saying that her friends are tied up and she has to go save him, but she brings a gun with her. Very yeah. smartly, which so funny because the, at the beginning of the phone call, it's like echoed. It's herself echoed back to her. I thought that was really funny because I would I would have hung up immediately like, no, I'm not going to just hear myself. Something's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I would have hung up, too. But she gets up going there and she ends up going there and there's a metal detector on the floor, which is this part is so weird to me that he would go out of his way to get a metal detector so she can check herself for weapons. And she she does have a weapon on her that she gets rid of. So it ended up working out. But it's just. It just seems like the most random part to put in the movie. She could have said, "Take your gun out," and like she, he could, she yeah. could have just done that. Like as far as the storytelling goes, but. So at this point, um, I had like a little note to myself because I was writing like "Killer One, Killer Two because I was like, you know, the movie follow if it follows the trajectory of the last two, it's gonna have two killers because that's how they've set the series up to be. Yeah. And so I wrote yeah. Kill- "Killer One, Mark Kincaid." And then Killer 2, I had a big circle, and I was like, who is it? And then I wrote, like, a little note, maybe a sister of Maureen, or maybe Mr. Loomis is coming to get revenge. That's funny. Because in the and, second movie, it's yeah. it's her mom. <laughs> so the third one, her dad? His dad? I thought maybe. I thought it was a maybe. But um, yeah. I'll, I'll explain why I thought that and like once we get to the big reveal, which is really fun. Um, but yeah. That's what I was thinking at this point, where I was like, man, this is tough. Who am I going to decide is the other killer? So Sydney finds Dewey and Gail tied up, and she tries to untie them. And then Ghostface pops up in the room, and she just straight shoots him six times. Yes, she Square had another the gun on her. Yeah. And you think that's it. And then she goes to untie everybody. Everybody's kind of happy. Takes the duct tape off of Gail. But when they look back, the killer isn't there anymore. Just like Randy said, you know, they're 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 more than human. Like you can't you, you can't just kill them that way. And then out of the blue, fucking Ken Cade shows up, mm. and I thought that was goddamn <laughs> sus. That was so suspicious. I I was, was I was thinking, well, he just left, took off the costume, and came back. That's what I, <laughs> exactly what was going on in my head. And they kind of square off. And I mean, if you were sitting here, Geraldine, what would you do? You're both holding guns at each other. Would you shoot him? I immediately would have assumed that he was the killer. And done what? I don't know. 
I don't know what I would have done because, you know, I like to talk a big game. I'm going to be honest. I like to talk <laughs> a big game, but I'm a, I'm a humongous chicken shit. However, if I hear a noise at home, I do the typical white person thing where I go and investigate it like an idiot. Nice. So I don't know. I don't, I think if, if, if I was faced in the moment with something like that, maybe, just maybe it might be different, but I, I really could not tell you what I would do because I feel like running's not my favorite thing to do. So I feel like running would absolutely not be part of it. But you have a gun in your hands (laughs) pointing right at the person you think it might be. Yeah, but I'm also kind of scared of guns. I'm not going to lie. So I don't know what I would do because, like, the idea of shooting a gun and killing somebody, even if they might be bad, kind of makes me feel bad. <laughs> okay, well. I'm a weakling. Unless, it, okay, I don't know. I don't Maybe I would kill him. Maybe I would. Let's say for, for, this, for this scenario. You'd kill him and he was, I'd, you don't even know if he's the guy. Well, I'd shoot his foot or something okay. just to stun him. Something, something to stun him, so that if he is the killer, he's in pain and he can't get well, me. Well, Sydney doesn't end up having to decide because Ghostface pulls up right behind him. Yes, he does. And so then I would have. I was like, "Damn it, I'm fucking wrong." <laughs> or it's the other killer. Mm-hmm. So Kincaid and Ghostface start having a tussle. Yep. And Sydney is kind of out cold for a second. And Gail's, Gail keeps yelling at her to get the gun, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. And she does get the gun, but it's out of bullets. Of course, always. It's like they never bring extra ammunition, ammunition yeah. anytime there's like a movie. And I'm like, are you fucking with me? It's just so funny. Um, so then we get a chase sequence eventually. And uh, somehow we end up in the private screening room that they had mentioned that they were like all searching for yes which is kind of odd because she found this by you know lifting a book from a bookshelf like you know they do like for batman's cave or whatever but she was kind of looking for it it. she was like oh this is a bookshelf there must be a secret entrance and then she finds it yeah i'm like why would she assume any of that she hadn't she hasn't been here she doesn't know there's secret passages she didn't know that the she wasn't there during the scene with um the producer how would she know she right. doesn't know there's a secret screening room see that's my thing is like i i wouldn't have guessed that however i feel like i just assume that most big houses have have like cool nooks and crannies and stuff you just assume and if that? i had a if i had a big house i would absolutely implement so many of them for fun just oh, for yeah, fun just to see if people could find them yeah that'd be a great place to have like a murder mystery game night murder mystery yeah i, I love it um but yeah that was such a random thing so like that kind of thing like nobody would really think that their first instinct in a a house i'm in a library you you would not think that i'd be throwing books at the guy and if i happened to lift a book and shit opened then i'd be like why didn't they just do that that would have made more sense right (laughs) right for directly going for it but she gets in there there's a video playing on the tv and we find she's alone with ghostface yeah and it's a video of her mother and this is why i thought that Bill, like Billy Loomis's dad, Mr. Loomis, may have been in there because mm. obviously in the first movie, it's Billy. Second movie, it's, you know, the mom. Third movie, it kind of would have made sense if like, I my, my thought process, especially when the killer is revealed and 
we find out that it is none other than Roman. It's Roman. It's it, and it, which is crazy. I see him and I'm like, oh, I thought this guy was dead, but I guess he's not. I also he thought brushes that his hair back, which he's I kind of like, um, and then shows <laughs> off the voice changer. Uh, which yeah, it's which fascinating really cool. to me because what they do in the movie with like the audio is very similar, I think, to like right now with like AI and like how so like you scary. can you can pretend to be anybody you want to be. You can make videos of people saying things that they've never really said with all this AI technology nowadays. It is absolutely terrifying. You can do you can do that. You can like AI like do you can like do art through AI. You can um write song lyrics through ai like it's kind of terrifying like it's almost like eradicating or replacing um a lot of things that people put their heart and soul into it's a that's a whole other tangent that we don't have to get off on but it's i just thought it was fascinating some of it is is fascinating all the way back to this 2000 movie where like oh my god yeah and then 20 years later here we are we can do so much of it so it's just so Kincaid is you know on the floor he's got a gun and Dewey gets it from him and he's like go kill that son of a bitch and that's what they plan on doing they can't get into the room though so it's just oh no they they struggle they struggle hard and Roman in this room running next to each other and this is a part of the movie uh where Roman the killer explains like their motive. Yes, which, I was actually I liked it. I thought this was a. I liked it a lot. I, it was a very unique motive, and I was also kind of like yeah. sad for him a little bit. You kind of feel for him. Yeah, it's sympathetic. Yeah, because the first one, it, the uh, the sequel rather, uh, it's just straight up revenge. Yeah. You killed my son. I want to kill you. But she was also at fault. She didn't love her son. Like she didn't like she. That's the person he she raised. Yeah, she abandoned. You know. Him yeah but in in this one it's it's it make it's from the it's a from the flip perspective where like he was a child and they both share the same mother but she didn't she re- rejected him like she didn't like that's from my past which i mean i know you can blame her, like definitely but from 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 his side it's like my mother my own mother doesn't want to love yeah me. which is incredibly sad you feel really bad for him and you know, at this point, before he had removed his mask, he said something with the with the voice changer, and he said, "Came to terms with me and mother." And I was like, "Who? Like you're calling Marine mother? Like?" Is... And then we obviously it's revealed that he's her son. But so I'll tell you why I thought it was Mr. Loomis because he played this video, and it was like videos of Marine with other people, like Cotton Weary yes. and Mr. Loomis or something. And so my brain was like, "What if it's Mr. Loomis's son? What if that was like a love child oh. or something?" And well, because that would have been about the time. No, no, that wouldn't have been the time because it wouldn't have mathematically worked out. But that was just something that did cross my mind. But then to me, my interpretation of this is that like maybe, you know, in her movie days, like she was taken advantage of, like sexually assaulted and possibly, you know, got pregnant. And then that's what I think at this time. I mean, abortion was around, but it wasn't um, it was in the 70s. It would have made more sense for that, at least. Um, or if she was acting in the 70s and maybe, like, quit at some point. I don't know. She would have, yeah. Mathematically, that would work out because 90s. It's, like, late 90s, early 2000s and right. stuff. But she had this baby. And, and I, I, you know, like, I don't think what she did is the best thing, Maureen. But I, I kind of sympathize with her, too, where, like, 
this was something that happened it's like a trauma response and and you don't want to yeah involve yourself with that and, and so I, I i get her side as well um and but you know the consequence of all those things is this child who grew up unloved and you know wanted to get back at that yeah and what makes it um sad is you know well first of all people who are, are traumatized who go through trauma they have various trauma responses some people people don't talk about it a lot but hypersexualization is one of them right one of the one of the ways they cope with it so like yep. some people cope with their trauma by having sex yep. a lot and stuff and that's totally fine um is it super healthy no, but we all do like unhealthy things. Yeah, well, that's what most of coping is. You know, it's it's a response yeah. to that to that awful thing. There's not much context there, but I I think it's left to the assumption that maybe it was a child through sexual assault because with Milton's parties and stuff, it's kind of indicated that she was taken advantage of at a young age. I agree. I think that's what happened, and you know, he's mad about it too. You know, okay, I don't like his wording that he uses here, but I, I think his point is right where he, he pulls out from the closet who's in there, Milton, and tie like with a tied up and with some duct tape on his mouth, and he's holding him hostage. Like, yeah. here's the man. Aren't you mad at him? Aren't you? He's the one that made our mama slut. Uh. And while I don't like that wording, um, that what he, he he's getting to what we're saying, like it's because of him that her that her mother you know suffered through yeah. this and and had that trauma response that that she ended up having yeah and then we also find out that billy somehow got in touch with this man with roman and he gave him and Stu like pointers yeah n- not just specifically billy she's like hey you know i'm the one that set this whole thing up i showed him the footage he you know he, he that's all i had to do really and just give him a few pointers like find somebody to you know, throw it on in case you get caught you know find an accomplice this and that and that's and it kind of details you like how the first movie happened yeah. it's almost like a little short prequel a little bit of the events of the first one i yeah. thought it was really a really fun like reveal and at this point i'm still waiting for killer number two to be revealed only to be <laughs> fucking disappointed if you have set up your movies your franchise to have two killers in each movie i mean i i guess in one in one sense i do like that they kind of threw us a curveball because we're all expecting two killers exactly that's how i feel I, i'm glad we only did one killer like it made more i mean in the first movie, it made sense, but that's the only one we've seen so right. far where it's good. In the second one, Mickey's motive made no sense at all. Like, I was like, what? You want to go to trial, I guess, and get caught? I, it just, but this one, you only have one killer, but the motive is, is solid. Oh, yeah, very solid. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is, this is a lot, and... But then I was so disappointed to find out it was just one person doing all of this because I was like, how would he have had the time? Yeah. But I... He seems a little... Because it's the only thing that, yeah, it doesn't seem like it would like logically make sense or whatever, but he knows mostly he's killing all of the stars of his movie. So that makes sense because he would know where they... Like, he would know their information yeah, you're right. and stuff. I, I, he I would think, know their whereabouts. Yeah, I think he would have an... He's probably had the easiest time of all the killers. <laughs> yes, he just shows he up to nobody expected he just shows him. up to where he knows they're gonna be and then kills him the one thing that th- for me didn't make sense is that he counted completely on sydney to have hallucinations 
Like he can't inflict that on her. He just counted on that happening. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. That's that's another thing that's like a big gripe is I'm like, what was that even for? I mean, unless because he knows she's she's having him. Like he he references him when he comes out to her first. He's in that body bag. Yeah, and I think to myself, oh, is is this another hallucination or is this the actual killer? Well, it's the actual killer. Yeah. So, but but it's just so weird that he counted on that to happen. Yeah, because like, what if she wasn't? Then it exactly. would it wouldn't yeah, have just, worked. However, I think maybe thing. he was just really playing on that trauma because if you find your mom dead or you see her in a body bag and you see the murder scene, I imagine that's got that's I mean obviously poor Sydney has gone through so much fucking trauma at this point. So then Roman like shoots Sydney at some point and I was like, oh shit with the shooting. Like that's a lot. Like it was like three or two or three like good shots. Yeah. And I was like, damn. And in my brain I was like Sydney, Sydney definitely got really hurt by this. Then he does this, the thing that Sydney and the rest of the characters do a lot in the movies, where he looks away for one split second, looks back, <gasps> she's gone. She's gone, which I love. I'm I love fan. it too because it goes back to the first movie where, like, you know, Stu and Billy get distracted. At sudden, sh- suddenly she's the stalker. She's yes. the one making the phone call, and she's wearing the ghost face. Costume. It also plays on Randy's like trilogy rules where the killer is, you know, this it's superhuman, like the superhuman like being. So I thought it was kind of fun because it makes me feel like Sydney's taking control of the narrative again. Yep, yep. Like I said, this movie's more connected to the first one than the second one is. I think so too. So I I, I actually really enjoy that because the lights get cut off. Yeah. And now 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 he's the one that isn't quite sure of everything that's going on, and she hides behind a bar. And then waits for the right opportunity and stabs him in the throat. God, yeah. I, I love seeing that from Sydney. He falls onto the ground and says, I shot you. And then she reveals that she has a bulletproof vest. Which I'm like, she that makes total yep. sense with her security system back love at it, home. Love it, Of course, she's more prepared than she you know usually yes. is. Yes. And bef- she just came from a police station, too. Right. And got a gun. So it would make sense that she would also put on one of those vests. And then also before she kills him, though, Dewey somehow comes back in. Dewey shoots him like five times. And then Sydney's like, in the head, Dewey, in the head. And he's like, huh? And then he's like, oh. And then he shoots him in the head. And I'm like, my God, you were a cop. Shouldn't you yeah, know? Yeah, such this? a himbo. But you're right. Then, you know, when you mentioned like the whole part where she, you know, ultimately stabs uh, Roman and stuff. It was kind of a sad moment. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, she holds his hand. It was almost like she felt connected to him enough and kind of... A, it was almost like an apologetic thing. Like, I'm sorry that... I don't know. To this me... This is the hand you were dealt. Yeah, ultimately. And so she's at least there with him in his final moments and stuff. And it's kind of sad because it almost like... I wonder like what kind of life he would have led if, you know, Marine would have... like accepted him but then again if if it were a product of sexual assault i completely understand her not wanting any part of that and that's totally valid so it's just sad it is just sad but i like it because this kind of wraps thing up and uh, wraps things up in a very neat little bow yeah where the events of the first movie were caused by this person in this third movie yeah like he's the one that set the whole train in motion and like you said if marine prescott let him like adopted him then like they could have grown up to be brother and sister and just had like a good normal childhood loving childhood yeah because ultimately when you point the finger 
like you mentioned like he has he had a, a like his hand in all of this but I mean, you know, like Sydney mentioned, like none of this would have happened if it weren't for my mom kind of thing. But also yeah. it, it wasn't her fault. It was really a product of her trauma. And yeah. so it's just sad that they both kind of had to deal with that. These are the circumstances. Yeah. And this is what he made out of it. You know, he still decided to do all these awful things. Yeah, of course. Like that's a choice that he made. And, you know, like Sydney's mom made her choice in, in that way, too. But again, like trauma changes you and obviously like especially with uh with roman's motive like it makes sense that he would be so revenge fueled because he's like this wasn't the life that i was meant to lead i really like that moment where sydney you know holds his hand and is there for him to die yeah i think it's really sweet i think so too um uh I do think that that next part where Dewey shoots him a bunch in the chest <laughs> like is 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 so silly and goofy because it's like they it 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 completely cuts the previous sweet moment where I'm like well then he stand like it looks like he finally is, like comes to terms oh but yeah, then yeah, he sta- yeah then he stands up like he's gonna go back to kill him and that's when dewey shoots him five times because and they I'm like, because they always come back of course they always come back and i would have i actually would have preferred him not to come back yeah like, i'm o- i'm okay with it uh, just because you know they have to do it it's the thing that they do um it's kind of like their of own Randy's rules yeah one of their little campy things yeah so i don't i, I it's fine with me it's just kind of narratively it cuts the tone of you know what we're supposed to think yeah yeah i agree um and then at this point i was still wait i was still waiting for a reveal of a second killer and i was like oh really i was like are we not gonna get a second killer and i was like in my in my brain i was like there's always two killers though but then again like we said they really threw us a curveball here people were expecting it but like i said originally in the script because there were so many different rewrites and stuff um that they kind of referenced in within the script which is again so meta of them angelina was supposed to be the second killer and she was supposed to have a motive of like she was obsessed with sydney which makes sense because we kind of see that moment with them in the bathroom but that was that was it and she was supposed to be like roman's lover well i'm glad that wasn't the case i'm glad that we ended up one killer yeah i think so too story this is one of the first movies where we get some an aftermath scene like we got like yeah. the first one didn't have any aftermath second one we got like a second of cotton getting like some press and sydney walking away this time we get a whole scene where we cut back to sydney's house yeah he's a yeah that's cute he's a he's a hufflepuff she's a slytherin i've decided Yes, but Sydney goes back inside her house, looks at the keypad, says, you know what, I'm not even going to worry about setting my alarm, which I mean, I guess I get whatever, you know, it's supposed to show growth. I don't know if that's growth, though, but she turns around and her brand new boyfriend, Detective Ken Cade, walks in you. with a broken arm and some popcorn. I called it. And I, called I it. saw this and I thought, oh, okay, fine, I guess. Uh, I told you they connected over the trauma. They connected over it, and it's just weird that it's your detective. Like, well, yeah, but I, I just think that's odd. But you know, this is the '90s, or I guess it's the end. It's Y2K, baby. <laughs> the world didn't end, so they're just happy to yeah. be alive. But she, she, so she, she doesn't set her alarm. Everybody's gonna go watch a movie. It's weird because she's like, "Oh, what kind of movie is it?" And they're like, "Oh, you'll see." 
And then they never show the movie because she just looks back to their front door that she didn't lock. It opens up like suspiciously and she just leaves it open and walks away to go watch the movie with her I'm friends. Like, Which again, it's supposed yeah. to show growth, but let me tell you, <laughs> I would be debilitated. I would be debilitated. I would not be able to do anything. I'd be like, you know, I, I'm not a gun person, but I would have guns and I would absolutely have security systems. But I think that like, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with t- like preparing and like trying to be safe and secure. I think there's a, I think there's such a like a it's not like white or black kind of thing. There's kind of a little bit of a gray area there. But like she definitely goes from like the black to the white there, where it's like yeah, where she's like all set up. <laughs> you know, nobody knows my name where I live. Suddenly it's like you know Let's what? Just leave this door open. I'm okay. I don't care. Let the bugs. Anybody come in, can. You know? Anyone's welcome. This is a welcome home. Yeah. And I'd be like, absolutely not. All right, Jalen. It's time. It's time to rank oh boy. this movie. Go. Now we. This is the third movie. We got our current list holds at Scream One holding the top yeah. spot. Followed by Scream yeah. 2. Now, I like this movie. I had a blast. I've also heard, I think mostly just from you, that people have criticized the following movie, Scream yeah. 3. And like it's it's one of the ones that's known for not being a good yes. movie. And I've heard that elsewhere too. And I'm like, okay, so when I went into this movie, I was like, okay, so this is a bad one. But I had a freaking blast. I really like this movie. I think the first movie is very iconic and set up a lot of things, so it's hard to put anything over it. But I do think this makes the second movie look so much worse. Because <laughs> when I watched the second movie, I was like, you know what? This isn't that bad. I'm fine with it. But now that I've seen this one, I'm like, oh, this is a better sequel than the second movie that we got. So... I think there's like just so many connections like back to the first movie. I think this movie you go through to a lot more places like instead of just like the school really like a campus on the second movie and the long third act at the theater that they really didn't do anything with while this one had you 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 know you start off in an interstate you're in different people's houses all the extra characters are a lot more interesting they're a little less tropey too. The the second movie had a lot of this like, oh, this is a jock. Oh, this is the film yeah. geek. Like this one, the characters just seem like adults, you know, that that like had their own lives going on, which I really enjoyed. And most of all, I guess it's the killer's motive. I really enjoyed in this one compared to the I second movie. I absolutely agree. So because of all those things, this I'm ranking this movie second place in front of. Scream I think 2. I would agree with you. I think that for. I was expecting it because everyone had kind of gassed it up as like the worst one in the franchise. I'm like, okay, I disagree with that. And I won't tell you why, because I don't want to give anything away for the future movies or anything. I think that Mm. I also don't want to speak poorly of number six without seeing it. Am I excited by the trailer? No, I'm not. I'm not excited, but I'm still going to go see it with an open mind and we'll see what happens. I think that it also speaks volumes that, um, one through four, just a heads up, one through four is directed by Wes Craven. Five and six are not because Wes Craven has passed away. Um, so I think that the the tone is going to be completely different. So it'll be really interesting to see how they play into the ranking. I'm very excited to see where where you would rank them versus where I would yeah. rank them because I know that I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get to those. We thought this one was 
gonna end up honestly i really did i really did i've heard terrible things about it and so i kind of went in with like a very open mind because it's like okay i know that people have said that they've hated it but you know talking to another mutual friend of ours uh she really likes it as well and i was like okay and so i think that i was like well i know that some people really like it some people really hate it there's not really an in-between and mm. i was kind of it's a polarizing yeah, and i was movie. kind of in between i was like it's not like amazing by any stretch nothing will ever top the first one in my opinion because that really is you know the establishing story but <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was very, it was very fun. I, I did enjoy yeah. it. If I'm being honest, this is my I favorite honestly, one. I think the I got bored with the second one at some point. Yeah, I think the the first one is iconic, and I mean like, like so inspired and so influential to horror movies as a whole. So it has to be first. But if I were to watch any of them over, it'd probably be this one because this one's just the most yeah, fun. Yeah, I agree. And, and and so th- this one this one's probably my favorite but i think it ranks second that was scream three thanks for listening everybody to the fright or flight podcast the premier horror movie review podcast catch us next week we're gonna do scream four now wow so we're past the halfway mark now yes scream four is the next one i i have seen this one and i really enjoy it i'm really excited but also really nervous to see where we go with uh the rest of them i've seen scream five but i have no idea what i'm in for with scream six yeah well thanks everybody for listening catch you next week stab you later bye Friday flight is a live oaks village production created by saul alberto arismendi ochoa this episode of the podcast was hosted by Geraldine Johnson and Saul Arismendi. Edited by Geraldine Johnson. Music composition by Saul Arismendi. Yeah.